And, uh, but I want to share something. I've been sharing, how many remember the series I've been doing a little while about the making of a king, about the life of David? How many felt you got some challenges out of that, some things out of that which would help? And uh, I want to uh, look at David again tonight, but I look completely different. Tonight I want to talk about the failures of David. And uh, over the last few weeks as we've looked at David's life, we've seen, man, David was a mighty man of God. David was this great man. He slew the lion and the bear and he fought with Goliath and, and all the battles. He never lost a battle that he fought. And uh, so all the list of the things of David are just tremendous. And uh, you kind of look at that and you've got him way, way out there and kind of, well, how do I kind of connect with that? Because he's so, such a, an amazing person. And uh, that was his public life. Unfortunately, so the public life is the part that you see what a person does on the outside or how they conduct themselves in their ministry or how they conduct themselves in a leadership role, how they conduct themselves in their, in their external life. But what I want to do tonight is, uh, is uh, as we've been doing in the last few weeks, we were looking internally at some of the things that motivated him, some of the things that got him going. And some of the things that he did, and I didn't even share all of them, there's a lot more there. But uh, what I want to do tonight, I want to look at the issue of David's failures. And uh, I want to show you something, not so much about David, but about the God we serve. It's going to help you. How many people have failed somewhere? That's good. That's good. You qualify then. Well, that's a help, you know. So we've, we've failed. How many actually have some things you seem to fail at fairly regularly? Okay, that's getting better still, all right? Now, one of the things the devil does, of course, is he uses failures as a doorway to accuse us so he can keep us in a place where we're disconnected from God. So immediately you fail, the devil will come as an accuser. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser. So there is a dynamic happens when you fail that following failure, which probably the devil stirred up to happen in the first place, following failure then comes hard on its heels a strong accusation. In the courts of heaven, there's a guilty sound, and he uses it as a basis and a ground, come and attack this person. Now, how many of you know when, that, when the devil attacks you with accusations, your mind and emotions become burdened? Is that correct? And that's really quite hard. And sometimes we come into church and we're burdened because although we're publicly worshiping God, our heart knows that there's other things we're wrestling with. And so we have this battle going on inside. What do I do about the stuff I'm wrestling with and yet try to come to God? So the devil then hurls more accusations while you're a hypocrite. So here you are, you've made the commitment to get up, to come into a meeting because you love God and you want to worship Him and engage Him and the presence of God is starting to come. But in the middle of it, there's this internal conflict going on where there's an accusing spirit attacking you and you don't feel good enough. Is that right? How many people have experienced the feeling, I'm not good enough? You've had that one. Okay, that's really good. It's quite a normal human experience. I wanted you to see that everyone here pretty well put their hand up. So what you thought was your issue is a common issue. Huh? It's a common issue. And there's, there is a, actually a, a, a very simple remedy for it. If you can really get a hold of the remedy, you don't have to live feeling like that. You feel that way because of what you believe. Huh? So what we believe will affect how we feel. So if, I, if I'm not feeling good enough for God's because I'm believing something about myself and my failures, 
that is separating me from God and causing me to experience these negative feelings continually. What I need to experience is the feeling of being righteous, of being acceptable, of being uh, free in the presence of God, instead of that dreadful feeling of being something wrong with me and I'm bad and I'm messy kind of stuff. Okay? And so I need to be able to shift from what's happening internally and these negative feelings and beliefs. I've got to shift over and reposition. And if you don't know how to do it, you will have a common experience all your Christian life of feeling not good enough and continually struggling with accusation. It is a very common experience because people don't know what to do to shift themselves out of it. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to have a look at the life of David. We want to now look at aspects of his personal life, and I want to show you firstly what God said about him. Then we're going to look at actually what, he, what his life was like. And you're going to see, you're going to be in, in, in a bit of a, a question mark. How can God say that about him when this is what he's like? So what I want you to do for a moment now tonight, I want you to forget all the great battles that David won. I want you to forget about Goliath, the bear, the lion, the great battles of where he went out and fought and won. I want you to forget all of us. Just lay those all aside. And I want us to look at just another aspect of David's life. And it'll be one that will give you, uh, you'll be shocked when you see it, and yet it will give you great hope that if God could speak like he does about David, God could speak the same way about me. How about that? Okay, so first we'll look at what the Bible says in the New Testament about David. And uh, we look in Acts chapter 13, that's where we'll start. And notice there in verse uh, 22, when he had removed Saul as king, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony. Stop there. The Spirit of God, or God moved to remove a king that was not acceptable and raised up another king, and God speaks about this king in a certain way. Now, this is not just someone's personal opinion. That's just not the crowd of your mates. This is not what your mates are saying about you. This is actually what God said about him. So if God says it about him, this means this is the way God sees him. This is the mind or the thinking when God looks at David. This is what God is saying about David. Now notice this. This is what God is saying about David hundreds and hundreds of years after he died. See? It's not saying it when he's in a good spot in his life. It says, this is what he said, gave him this testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. So we see now that God's attitude and God's testimony in the New Testament about David, there's not many things the New Testament says about David, but the Holy Spirit does record some things. It records this. It records he was a man after the heart of God, and God fulfilled promises he made to David. Now look about another statement in verse 36, a second statement, and uh, he says, uh, uh, verse uh, 34, and he raised Jesus from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He spoke this way, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you'll not allow your holy one to see corruption. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here it is. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. That meant he died, and he was buried with his fathers, and he saw corruption. Okay, we'll just stop there. So now, we want to look at two statements that God makes. This is God's testimony about David. God has this to say about David a man after my own heart, he'll do all I want to get done. Number two, he said, he served his generation. So in the day he lived, God testifies of him 
that everything God wanted to accomplish in the days of David, David rose up and did it. Now, that's a great testimony that God says about him. Is that correct? Okay, now, what I want us to do is to have a look at some other aspects today. We're going to look at the flip sign of the coin. David became a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was called the son of David. But now we're going to look and we're going to see David's life. And, and what you're going to find is there's some significant failures. That's even significant failures. So how does God handle the failures of David? So I'm going to list them all for you. If you want the scripture reference, I can give it to you. But I want to list the failures of David. And the question we want to ask is, how can God say all those nice things about David and set him up as a model and yet, David had all these significant failures in his life. What, how can that be? How, can God, how come God speaks well of a person who is really blowing it? And I mean really blowing it. And so I'm going to give you a list of some of the things that David did. I've been searching through, just having a look at them. And uh, there's a whole number of them there. And uh, let me just, go, I just got a list. I thought probably there's probably more. I just found a whole heap of them. I was a bit surprised myself when I found some of them you'll know, of course. But anyway, so let me just give you a few of them. And uh, so the first one here that I noticed was he lied. He lied through his teeth and he pretended to be crazy so he could deceive a king because he was afraid the king might kill him. So the Bible tells us that out of fear, it would have been out of fear, David actually lied through his teeth and pretended not to be David. In other words, he pretended to be someone else, pretended to be a crazy man. He foamed at the mouth, and he started to put on a loony act so he could deceive the king so the king wouldn't know he was David. You ever tried to put on an act and fool people or, you know, and try to pretend you're something that you're not? Well, David tried to pretend he, would pretend he was something he was not. It's found in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 to 15. Here's another one. He was afraid. He was, he was full of fear. He was unable to trust God to keep him. So he decided instead of staying in the land which was the land of his destiny, he would now travel over to the land of his enemies. How about that? He abandoned the place God had called him to be responsible for. He abandoned his post, in other words. He ran away in fear trying to look after himself. Is that the David you know? 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. He ran. He just took off. He was afraid. He was afraid for his life. And so he took off. He said he looked around. He realized, man, I may not make it through this. So he took off and he went to the Philistine land. He went and hid out in a neighboring country. Now, as we talk about the Philistines in a moment, probably the best way you can get the picture for this is something like this. Israel served the true God. The Philistines served some terrible, terrible gods. They were the Islamists of their day. They were the Islamic extremists, sorry, of their day. So they were extremely fanatic. They served different gods, and they had a, a, a strategy where they wanted to subdue, overcome, and take over dominion over all of Israel. In other words, they wanted to destroy Israel. So it's like someone, an Israelite, going over to the uh, Islamic fundamentalists. A bit of a shock. I was putting it in today's terms so he could understand it, but that's actually what equivalent to what he did. He ran away from his home turf and he ran and joined them. Keep going, it gets worse. Just keep in mind Al-Qaeda and some of the people and what they did to them in the West. As you would have seen there was an Australian and there was an American who were found among Al-Qaeda over in uh, Afghanistan and you're all familiar with that, how they got arrested and the whole process of the trial and something. They were considered, what were they called to be? 
traitors. So David was a traitor to his own country. Joined the Islamic fundamentalists over the road and was found among them with weapons of war. If that was today, he'd have immediately been put on trial, put in jail and never allowed out. Get in the picture? Okay, we'll keep going with David. Here's another thing, 1 Samuel 25, verse 32 to 35. Uh, David uh, was treated badly by one guy. He was looking after, uh, the guy's name was Nabal. And uh, David and his troops were looking after him, made sure that these guys didn't get ripped off. And then when he asked for a little bit of hospitality, the guy told him, no, I'm not going to do it at all. And this is what happened. David got so angry, he said to the guys, put on your swords. We're going to take this guy out and we'll help ourselves to it. So in other words, he was filled with anger and revenge. Doesn't sound like the David we know, does it? Sounds more familiar with other people we know. He was filled with anger at being rejected, and then he decided he was going to go and kill this guy, and the only thing that stopped it happening was the guy's wife, Abigail, who was a very, very wise woman, perceived what was happening and ran and appealed to David not to do it, and David thanked her for reminding him he needed to trust God. Otherwise, he'd have slain innocent blood on that day. Angry, so angry, he wanted to kill someone. And he had, perf- he had actually, if he hadn't been uh, actually confronted by this lady in a, in a way who appealed to him, he'd have never actually, he'd have carried it all out. Are you getting the idea? Okay, here's another one. So uh, uh, we'll pick up another one. Genocide in 1 Samuel 27, verses 7 to 9. 1 Samuel 27, verse 7 to 9, he's now over in the land of the Philistines, and so now what he does is he sets about going about killing, taking hold of various villages and killing everyone in them, man, woman, child, beast. Nothing was left alive, and they just helped themselves to all the goods. Oh. Oh. And then... The next thing is, you read a few verses later, when the king, who had given him hospitality, asked him, what have you been up to to doing, David? He lied to him, blatantly lied to him. Oh, well, I've just been over in Israel there and been knocking up some villages and stuff, and, and the king was, oh, that's good. They'll be really upset with him. That's good. That's really good. You getting the picture about David now? So I've got him now lying and afraid and angry and compromised and uh, committing genocide, lying and deceiving his host. Here's another one, betrayal. 1 Samuel 28 verses 1 and 2, betrayal. He, he literally betrayed his own country and his own call. He became the bodyguard of this heathen king. The bodyguard of the heathen king. That's like, that's like actually saying... That uh, who's that guy that everyone's after? I've just lost his name. Osama. It's like saying he became Osama's bodyguard. Osama's bodyguard. And he's got all his men at war, and he's now looking after Osama, making sure the enemy can't get him. You're getting the picture about David now. This, when you see it, David's actions in the light or put it in today's context, you begin to realize how crazy he got for a while there. That's what fear will do to people. And drive them clear out of the call of God, make them do crazy stuff. So although we saw these wonderful things we've been talking about, there's all these other things in David's life. And you're going to, one time I finish the list, you're going to be saying, well, flip, why don't we just get rid of him immediately? We, we had his 
by the time we'd finished our series on David, we had his picture up on the wall. Man, that's the man to follow. After we finish this list tonight, you'll be saying, tear that picture down. We don't want that man around here. <laughs> Get any idea? Okay, let's just give you another couple then. So we've got that uh, betrayal. Um, and and as, a, as an extension of that, he actually was willing to join the Philistines in 1 Samuel 29 uh, and verse 1 to 4. He's willing to actually join with the Philistine armies when they went to invade his own country. So now we've got him. Not only is the he, not only is he the bodyguard personally to Osama, but when Osama decides he's going to invade Israel, he actually goes and joins with him and all the other Philistines, and he's ready to go to the fight. Now, you know from what you've read in the papers about how they treated the guys, that they never even got into the fight. They were just found there with them and with guns. They were considered to be traitors and imprisoned for years. How do you think about David the man who was the hero of the nation, it's like the most highly decorated man in the nation, has sold out, gone over to the enemy, and there he is on the enemy's side, and now he's invading his own country and about to kill his own countrymen. I mean, he went down to the battle. The guys are all lined up. They're ready to go across and invade, and they're ready to face Saul in battle, and he's willing to join with them, and he's going to find himself very soon, unless God intervenes, he's going to find himself doing something that's un- un- it's sort of unthinkable, the man called to be the king over a nation has now joined their enemies in invading them and killing the people. Do you get what's happening in David's life? We're going to look as we go through. We're going to see how God still, in spite of it all, because of something specific, God actually saved him out of almost every situation, saved him out of every situation he got in. Here's another one. It gets worse. So finally he gets there and he gets established as a king. And uh, how, you know, let me just explain. How did God get David out of that condition. Very simple. David came back to his city. The king said, we don't want you. You may turn on us in the battle. We don't trust you. So you can't come with us. He went to his hometown, got to his hometown, Ziklag, and the town had been wiped out. Kids taken, family taken, uh, wife taken, money taken, goods taken, everything taken. And he's right at the end of his tether. And now God's got his attention. Okay, Lord, I think I might've missed it somewhere. I've got a major mess all around me. There's nothing like a little bit of pressure in the home front to get you having to think about your personal life and where you may have missed it with God. See? So there he is. He's got this mess. And in the midst of it, it causes him because there's nowhere else to go. It's all over unless he can reach God. He reaches into God and God then begins to reestablish him. He gets all the stuff back and he ends up within a very short time. He's established as the king of Israel. And now the Philistines he was about to join are now about to attack him. It's a brilliant, you've just got to go back through the story and look at it and read and sort of, sort of see what's going on, try to interpret it in today's terms. So then he's reasonably successful as a thing. Then his next list of infamy, you'd think, well, he's got there and he's now king. So that should be enough now. He's there, he's king, Saul's gone, enemies are gone, he's beaten the enemy of the Philistines in the battle, now he's established as a king. Now we're, we're doing pretty good now. Now you think now, well, okay, you'll be praising the Lord and you'll be starting to live a good life and whatever. No, there's more yet. The next thing he does is he's up there and he decides not to go to the battle. He's up there looking down, as you know the story, off the roof one night. He sees a beautiful girl having a bathe. I don't know why she's bathing out in full view of men in the middle of the late in the night. But anyway, whatever it is, she's having a bathe. And this man happens to be the wife of one of his key leaders. And he looks at her and he calls her, summons her to come, and then sleeps with her, commits adultery with her, and she gets pregnant. So now we can add to this growing list adultery. 
And not just adultery, but adultery with one of your friend's wives. It's getting pretty bad, isn't it? You almost see there rebelling against David. Oh, David, I don't like David anymore. I thought he was a nice man, you know. <laughs> okay, that's what 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 to 4 tells us about that adultery. So then the adultery results in the conceiving of a child. And so he now gets the bad news. She comes to him and says, David, you know, we had a night the other night. He said, well, I'm pregnant. He said, well, how lucky is that? One off, and there it is. Got a baby. And so he's thinking, what do I can do? I know what I'll do. And so he begins, now notice this, he's beginning to scheme how to cover his sin. This is the man after the heart of God, by the way. He's scheming how to cover his sin. And so he gets this idea, I'll just get, I'll get her husband to come back from the battle and uh, I'll just get them together so they sleep and they'll never know that it's not his child. Can you see his, so he brings the guy back. Uriah, Uriah the Hittite brings him back, says, man, tell us about the battle, which is all lying and deceiving. The man comes back thinking he's bringing a report on the battle. No, he's being set up to sleep with his wife. If he doesn't have sex with his wife, he doesn't realize he's going to die. So what happens there? He, doesn't, uh, he, he gets there, but he refuses. He's a man of integrity. He says, no, I'm not going to be enjoying time with my wife while my, my comrades are in the battle. And so he refuses to go home and sleep with his wife. So David has another try, fills him up with drink, plying him with alcohol now to get him drunk so he can get him to go and have sex with his wife so he can then claim that the child isn't his, it's the, it's the husband's. And the guy refuses to go sleep with his wife again and goes back to the battle. So David now is thinking again. So, now, so he's got adultery with the leader's wife and now he's got the next thing coming up is now he's schemed to try and get the guy trying to cover his sin and that fails. So now he thinks there's only one thing left for it, I've got to kill the guy. So he, he, he gets a special message to the chief in the army, and he says, Joab, I want you to go up near that city, and when, the, when, when you get, real, get them all real close to the city, closer than we normally get, and then at the appointed time, pull everyone back and leave, your, leave Uriah out there near the wall. And so a little while later, a message comes back. We went and assaulted the city, and, uh, and, and Uriah the Hittite died. And David then covers it over, the hypocrisy. I've told you guys not to go that close to the battle walls. That's what happens when you go close to the battle walls. So he covers the sin. Is this the David we know? You think you're getting a good list of his sins? He's got a heap more. You feeling a bit encouraged about your list now? <laughs> it's not quite so bad after all, is it? Look at all these ones. I'll give you a few more then. So we've, got, we've, we've had adultery. We've had murder now. Murder, using someone else to murder him, so he got murdered. And then we've got another, then the next thing that comes up is he totally failed as a father in his own home. He failed to address the issues in his family. So now what happens is one of his sons rapes one of the, one of the, uh, the daughters. Now what's David going to do? Nothing. He did nothing. He, didn't, he was angry, but he never said a word because he's so guilty himself. So now he's failing to make his household safe. His own home is not a safe place anymore. There's danger in there now of anything could happen. He failed to deal with the son and confront the issue. In fact, he failed on several accounts in his, in his home. He failed to, to deal with the son. Absalom went up and Absalom killed the brother and he failed to address that. Then what he did was when Absalom came back, he avoided him. He wouldn't talk with him. What kind of dad is this? won't address the issues in his family. He didn't go and talk to the daughter and help her recover. 
He didn't address and confront the guy who committed the incest and rape. He did not actually address the other one who killed his brother. There's another son. He didn't address him either. He never spoke to him, never addressed him, never disciplined him, never confronted him. How are we getting on with David now? Are we doing all right? It's looking, you're getting serious, but we'll get to the good bit in a moment, okay? See, now, then there's, there's a couple of other things he did too. The, the, other, the other couple of things he did is uh, if you read, you'll find he had multiple sex partners. It's getting worse, isn't it? When Absalom finally set up a rebellion against him, David abandoned, he took his wives with him, he took his children with him, but he abandoned the people he'd been sleeping with. There were about 10 women concubines, which were other sex partners apart from his wives. Wives. Getting the picture about David? Now, he's got a few issues. You'd say, boy, he's got issues. He's got, he's got real issues, this boy. Okay? And so he, he left them, and they were all raped by his son. It's not a healthy family, is it? Would you say this is, he's got a few messes in there? He's got a number of dis- significant problems. So, so, so that goes on. I'll just give you one more that uh, you'll really love this one. If you haven't think he's done enough damage, how many think he's done enough damage already? David, don't just mess it up again. No more. That, look, okay, but we've had, this is too much. Betrayal and being a traitor and lying and afraid and running away from your post and joining the enemy, murder, adultery, and a messy family situation, not addressing any issues. Really, what, a, what more could go wrong? Well, there's one more thing went wrong. And this is, he started to do something. The Bible expressly forbids the king to number how many people were in Israel. Because by numbering them, he's, he's come, it's an attitude of heart of pride to say, I've got this many soldiers, I'm this strong. And so God said, I want you to number them. And if you do number them, you had to pay a tax. There had to be an offering made to the Lord to number them. David didn't do that. So he told the commander, I want you to number them. The guy pleaded with him. He refused to listen, said, go number them. And immediately after he numbered them, and it says Satan provoked him to do this. So now he's listening to the devil, not listening to God. Now guess what happens? The consequences of that are 70,000 of his own people died. Now it's looking pretty bleak for David, isn't it? 70,000 people died as a consequence of his personal sin. Now you can see the kind of man that we've been looking at as a man of God, a great hero of faith, now we're in, how many are feeling a dilemma and confused feelings inside already about this guy? Right? When, you, when you look at it, you think, whoa. So then we're going to ask the question then, because we've already read God's opinion about him, a man after my own heart. Whoa, hello. Stop there. Say, a man who will do all my will. Hey, stop there. We've got some things we need to talk about here. A man who served his generation by the will of God. We've got some issues here for for sure. So this man that God is saying those things about, on the other hand, uh, this this is what's going on in his life. So how can you get to grips with that? Does it mean that God overlooks faults and failures? Does it mean that sin doesn't matter? Does it mean that you can do those things just because God is a good God? No way. If you have a look at it, what you find, let's have a look. Uh, and I want you to read in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. I want you to read something David said at the end of his life. So David's the end of his life, you tend to say things which are fairly wise. You've got to be saying stupid things. 
So David said, 2 Samuel chapter 23, if I can see if I can find it. No, I haven't found it. I've got the wrong one. I must have a wrong reference there somewhere. Anyway, I'll just have to pick it up a different way. And uh, it said at the end of his time, I can't find the reference. I'll have to pick it up like this. Uh, It says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. Whoever rules over men must be just walking in the fear of God and without partiality although my house be not so with God, yet God has made with me an everlasting covenant. How about that? So he said, a leader, if they're going to lead, needs to be a godly person with an upright life, but my house and I have not been like that. So he's upheld the standards of God, but he's pointed out his personal failure. My life hasn't been like that at all. Yet, now here's the bit. Yet, God has made with me an everlasting covenant. So what is it that enabled David, in spite of all the stuff he did, and no matter how disastrous his life was, in many respects, how is it God can declare he's a great man? Because he had a covenant of mercy with God. And God had spoken to him and said, I will not remove my mercy from you. I will raise up from your seed someone who will take over the throne of Israel. So here's what made the difference. God made a covenant with David, an everlasting covenant, meaning it's a covenant that lasts forever. And that was a covenant of mercy with David. To be merciful means you don't give people what they deserve. So how did God deal with all of the failures of David? God wanted to demonstrate in the life of David that God is a merciful God. So how did he, how did he deal then with David? He never overlooked anything that David did. But what he did do was focus and keep the primary focus on his destiny and call and not on the failures. So how did he deal with the failures? Because you've got to understand that when God looks at you, he's not focused on your failures. He's focused on the value you are personally to him, the covenant he has with you, and his destiny he's planned for you. So when God is thinking about you, he's thinking thoughts of good. Now, of course, we, because we feel guilty, think he's thinking evil thoughts and he's messing us up and something goes wrong, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done something. See, but God is thinking that I value you, I love you, I am merciful to you, I have a destiny for you. Now, God does not overlook sin. And so how did God deal with sin? God dealt it with David in several ways. But he always confronted him over his sin. He never let him off the hook. When David committed adultery, God sent, or when, first of all, when David messed his life up and he's lying and deceiving and doing all this stuff, God just caused some troubles to arise against him, devastating his life and bringing him to his knees. Then he forgave him, released him, and then carried on getting him to his destiny. When David committed adultery, God sent a prophet to him after about a year, and the prophet confronted him. And God had been trying to get through to him all year, but the prophet confronted him and said, there's a consequence of your sin, the child will die. So God always confronted David. When David sinned that sin of numbering Israel, you know what? God sent a prophet to him again 
and said, you're going to have to choose, but there are some consequences for this. The Lord has forgiven you because you've asked forgiveness, but nevertheless, there are consequences. With the sin, with the, uh, with the adultery and murder, God forgave him that. Nevertheless, there were consequences in his family. So David was always aware that his sin had consequences. And God never let him off the consequences, but God always showed mercy. That's why David could say in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. No matter how much I blow it, the mercy is available for me if I will just position myself to receive it. He says something like this in one of the Psalms, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, though he fall, he's thinking about himself, the Lord will uphold him with his hand. So he's saying God is a merciful God. If you have blown it, God desires to, is willing to, get you back up again on your feet. But you have to be in a covenantal relationship with God and understand mercy is available and how to get it. Getting the idea? So don't think that because God is a merciful God and God promises to be merciful that God doesn't require you to be responsible for your actions. He does. Don't think that if you sin and God forgives you, there aren't consequences of the actions. There are. That's because God is a just God. But God is a merciful God, and mercy rejoices over judgment every time. So God looking at you is concerned about your future, your destiny, and specifically about your relationship with him. That's what gets you to your destiny. So in order to help you, he's made a covenant of mercy also with you and me so that when we fail, there's a way to be forgiven so we can be renewed in relationship and get to our destiny. That's what God wants from all of us, wants you to accomplish a successful life. And on the way, he understands his failures. He's made provision for the failures. See? So so David had a covenant of mercy. Now, this is what David did. This is what God did, sorry. God, number one, he confronted him. He held him responsible for his actions. He caused there to be consequences for the actions. Then he fulfilled his promise in forgiving him. Now, notice this. How much record in the New Testament is there of David's mistakes? There's not one. You look and you just read his life, so you know there's heaps of them. But how many are recorded by the Holy Spirit as a testimony about David by God? There's no mistakes. Look at Samson. Uh, yeah, Samson, who, who, who committed sin with Delilah, you find out he's listed in the book of faith, in Hebrews 11, there's no record of his failure. Because when a person repents honestly from their heart, mercy is released and there's no record of your failure kept in heaven. People may keep the record and you may experience consequences, but from God's point of view, his desire and heart is to show mercy and release that accusation against you. He does not want you to live guilty, condemned, accused, out of relationship, he wants you to understand there's no sin too big for God to forgive. And if God will forgive it, forgive yourself. Now, this is what happens when people tend to get into messes. Now, I'm sure some of you have had some messes, got some things that you don't like about your life. Now, let's have a look there in Hebrews 4. Just finish here, just with this one scripture. And I give you lots of scriptures, but I'll just stick with this one. And I want to just show you just a very simple thing that the Word of God tells us to do. Because when you became connected to Jesus Christ, the son of David, you came into a covenant of mercy. 
I will not remove my mercy from you. That's what God says. As I never removed it from David, in spite of all his junk, I won't remove it from you. So you could have a record in heaven that is actually no record of failure, just a list of your accomplishments. God wants it to be that way. But to do that, you've got to recognize what to do with your failures. Let's just give it to you and read in Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 15. Now, let us come boldly to the throne of grace or mercy, and we might obtain mercy. That's when we fail. We've got to obtain it. It means you've got to get it from God. Mercy is something you get, and when you've got it, then you can stand up again. You only need mercy if you fail. Notice the first thing says, come boldly, come confidently because God has a covenant of mercy. He says, I'll never let my mercy depart from you. My mercy will always be there for you, no matter what you've done, how you fail, how you fall. My mercy I will never remove from you. Believe it. And if you believe it, boldly come, no matter how bad the mistake is, Boldly come to the throne, the place of heavenly authority and empowering to live and get that mercy. And when you've got that mercy, get with it the empowerment to stand up and live a stronger life. Can you see what God is saying in those verses? Oh, very, very exciting. So God has established a covenant. So here's the thing. When you fail, don't cover it. The worst you can do is cover it. Run to God with your failure as quick as you can after you've failed. Run to the one who has mercy. Run to the one who loves you. Run to the one who can release you. Run to the one who can make your sin clean. Run to him. Don't run away. When Adam sinned, he ran away. His, his problem was this. Listen, I shared about this morning. I'll just touch it again. When Adam sinned, He made two mistakes. The first was believing the lie and sinning. But the second was, once he'd sinned, he covered it and hid it and blame shifted. God came to him and said, Adam, where are you? What's going on in your life? Talk to me. And Adam should have run to him and said, Lord, I've blown it. I've made a mistake. Uh, please forgive me. I'm fully responsible. Don't hold this against Eve. It's my responsibility. But he didn't. He blamed his wife. And when he blamed his wife, God stopped talking to him. Think about that. When you won't be responsible for your life, God stops talking. You now have to experience consequences. When you will blame someone else for your messes, silence from heaven. The next thing Adam heard was, this is what's going to happen to you as a consequence of your sin. The tragedy of Adam's sin was not the initial mistake, but his not returning to the relationship and believing God was a merciful God that would forgive him. If he had done that, he could have changed this whole deal. What do you think God would have done if he just owned up, fronted up, took responsibility and asked forgiveness. God would have released forgiveness. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. He that confesses and forsakes shall find mercy. So don't run. 
Don't run when you've made a mistake. Don't run when you've failed. Don't run and hide. Don't blame someone else. Own up. Quickly own up. Second thing is, don't cover it. Second is, don't hate yourself. I've put that one in for teenagers. Most teenagers, when they blow it or do something goofy or strange, I hate myself. I hate myself. And you actually, listen, you hate the wrong thing. You should hate the sin, not yourself. God loves you. Self-hate is a, is a device of the devil to put the blame in the wrong place. So you're hating yourself rather than actually valuing yourself and doing what God says is to come with him. Don't withdraw from God. Don't withdraw away discouraged and defeated. Don't withdraw and stay in that place. So there's a couple of things. Don't run and cover and blame someone else. Don't hate yourself and react internally and then get into all kinds of weird stuff that you get into, the eating problems, all kinds of other issues. Don't hate yourself and put yourself down if something's lacking. And don't withdraw from God. See? Now, what should you do? You should run to God and immediately confess, come up front with what you've done and take responsibility for it. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do two things. Notice this. Number one, to forgive us. Forgive us means that the, the, the legal base for accusation in heaven is broken. But also we need to be cleansed. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us so we actually feel clean on the inside. I have to bring that thing with an open and an honest heart. The next thing I need to do is believe God has done it and stand up and get walking again. Believe God has done it, stand up and walk again. Ask God for grace to grow. Ask him for grace to grow. Now, to fail is one of the most common things. All of us fail. We all admitted that. We all admitted we fail. So how does God provide for failures? The blood of Jesus Christ has offered mercy now for every sin, every failure. But I have to position myself to obtain the mercy. And the only way to obtain the mercy, firstly, I've got to be in relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. But then when I fail, I've got to promptly do something. Boldly, confidently, not confident because of what you've done, confident because of who God is, I have to come to Him, I have to open my heart to Him and let it be known what I have done and bring it to the cross and let the blood of Jesus Christ wash me clean from it all. Now, what is the problem? The problem is, well, first, we don't come to him about the issues we cover and blame shift. So if you can get past that and come to him, then how can I overcome the second thing that we all talked about? First was we all fail, but God's made a provision for it. He's not, he's not focused on failure. He's focused on relationship and destiny. So make that your focus, relationship. Jealously guard the relationship, keep short account, don't let anything bruise the relationship because it's out of that you just don't get mercy, you get the grace to empower and live a good life, the life that's successful, the life that's doing what God wants. But I've got to come with a boldness that God will give it to me, I've got to believe it. So the second thing we found was a problem, was the problem of feeling unrighteous and feeling as though I'm not right feeling bad. Now that problem of feeling has to do with the heart needing to be convinced that I'm forgiven. The heart just is not believing I'm forgiven. I've come and confessed the sins. I've come and done what that Bible says, because most of the people know 1 John 1, 9, but they don't feel the forgiveness because the heart and conscience the conscience has been affected by the sin, and the heart is saying, whoa, you can say all you like. It's just empty words, boy. Listen, you're a no good. You understand that? The, the messages from the heart keep coming, and so you feel like you're not good enough. So the only way to address that part of it 
is to actually uh, meditate in what the Word of God says and begin to use your imagination to picture the blood of Jesus Christ washing it clean, to begin to imagine what it is to be clean, come into agreement with it in your heart. In other words, meditate on the truth of being forgiven and right and meditate on, try to picture it, what it means. It means I can stand before Jesus and I can stand there. He's not angry with me, not mad at me, he's not worried about the stuff. And so I agree with this and, and I can meditate in this and let it just be until I begin to feel in my heart it's persuaded this is true. And that may take a little time. To confess is real quick, but to actually stand up again Sometimes you just got to meditate and build into your heart the truth that you are accepted, forgiven, and right before God. If I am forgiven, which is what the Word says, what would that feel like? I need to dwell and imagine and feel it and agree with it and embrace it because it's the truth. And eventually you displace the beliefs that you aren't forgiven and you aren't good enough and you begin to embrace in your heart the truth. It's with the heart you believe. It's not just, oh yeah, I said sorry and I'm forgiven. No, that's, that, that won't do. You've actually got to, in the heart, know it. And sometimes it take, it's easy to say sorry and ask forgiveness. It may take a little longer for the heart to believe. And meditation in the Word of God and sincerity of repentance are the keys for the heart believing. If you aren't sincere, you just keep, oh, sorry, Lord, guess you've got to forgive me. If you have that mentality, your conscience will keep telling you, that didn't work. That's not good enough. I know you. You didn't mean that. And so you won't feel forgiven. And that's where many people live. The repentance isn't sincere. The belief isn't there. And so, yes, we've gone through the motions and God has forgiven us, but we don't feel it and walk in righteousness before him. If we walked in righteousness, then immediately our heart is free and we're free again. It's like, ah, it's not there. Well, you may know what I did, but God says it's not there anymore. So I'm walking like that. It's not there anymore. I'm going to walk as though this thing never happened. I'm going to carry on my life like that never happened. I've just learned from the experience, got up. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to depend on the Lord. And if by chance I fall over again, well, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I'll get up. I'll believe he'll lift me up. And I'll get up and I'll walk. And my walking like that, I am showing I believe. When you have your head hang down and you're living down there, oh, oh. I hate myself. Listen, you are full of unbelief. You have not believed what Jesus did was good enough. And you're trying to somehow persuade that you should be punished. Listen, the punishment was taken. Believe it. Believe it. Dwell in the Word of God long enough till your heart says, Whoa, I'm forgiven. I'm getting up. I'm going to live a bold and a strong life. And if people remind you of your faults, that's true. I did sin, but I'm forgiven. And I purposed I'll fulfill my course in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Yes, say amen. 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 Father, we thank you tonight for the victory that we can walk in personally. We thank you for the sure mercies of the covenant you've made with us. Oh, Lord, I pray that every person here that struggled with condemnation and accusation, they will rise up and rebuke that accusing spirit. They'll put the issues right before you. They'll begin to meditate 
until our heart is convinced and faith is there. Oh, I'm righteous before God. I'm a man after God's own heart. I have purpose to fulfill His will. I will serve Him in this generation. That's a choice you have to make. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. Listen, you may have failed. We've all failed. It's what you do about it. You can get a hold of God and discover that no matter how bad your failure, no matter what you've done, God has not changed. He's merciful. He forgave David, a murderer, a traitor, a, an adulterer, a man who broke down with fear and anger and deceit many times. And yet there was this quality in him, a heart that loved God, a heart that wanted to please God, a repentant heart that the moment God spoke to him, son, you've broken it, you've done wrong. He said, forgive me, I have sinned. Lord, I want to be restored. This is the man that cried out in the Psalms, oh, create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is the same man that said, Lord, you're not interested in sacrifices of oxen, but it's a broken and a contrite heart. That's about the mercies of David. Listen, you can be such a person. It could be written in heaven of you. We checked the books and there's no record of your transgressions. None. This isn't there. Why isn't it there? Because God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. Mercy. Mercy and grace. What a God. He never overlooks issues. But always a God of mercy. Compassionate. Desiring us to walk with Him. I found David a man after my heart, a man who is passionate about me, a man who pursues my presence, a man who loves me, a man who I've made a personal covenant I would give him mercy. A man who could understand the standards of God but realize he hadn't lived up to them and yet God was merciful to him. A man of the Spirit, a man of faith, and you could be such a person. Listen tonight, if you have any issue in your life personally where you have failed God, tonight's your night. Do not run away. Do not hide. Do not cover. Do not conceal. Do not hate yourself. Do not withdraw from the presence of God. This God we serve, although he's a, a God who calls us to account, a God of truth, is a God of mercy. I think right now you should stand up and make your way to the front and kneel down and begin to put your life right with Jesus. You do it right now. Do it right now. Any person here tonight and there's some issues in your life, you could just come right before God right now. There'll be other people tonight and you've lived in condemnation for years. 
You could come and put it right too. You could come and say, Lord, I have walked in unbelief. I've listened to my feelings. I've listened to the lies and accusations of the devil. And I haven't got a hold of what your word says and believed it. I'm coming tonight to break that agreement with that accusation, to begin to take time to meditate and my standing before you, what your word says. Come on, friends, come tonight. Just stand tonight. Stand tonight. Stand tonight. Come to the front. Just kneel down over here. This is some are doing right now. You come, friend. Come. This is a good night. There's grace to here tonight to touch your life. Perhaps you're disappointed, broken by your failures. You say, Lord, tonight I'm coming back to you. I'm coming to the foot of the cross. I'm coming to put my life right. Maybe there's anger and revenge in your heart. Come on, come and put it right tonight with God. Maybe you've lied. You've been deliberately deceitful and covered. You need to put that right tonight too. Maybe fears run your life and you didn't believe God. You just ran away from what you should have faced. Come on, friend. Come and face God tonight. Come tonight. There's a great presence of a merciful God. He's nothing for you but mercy and grace and love. He believes in you, wants to build you and stand you up and get you going. Why don't you just come? Just come now. I think there's others need to come now. For some, it may be bitterness that's got in your heart. For some, it'll be, you've allowed disappointment to rule your heart. Come on, come on, get it right with God tonight. Come tonight to the throne of mercy. Come to the place of mercy. Perhaps there's some, and, and, and because you've been overcome so often, you just won't believe there's an issue of, of unbelief in your heart. Just come now. Just kneel before Him. He loves you. He loves you. He understands what you've done. He, he's not impressed with what you did. In fact, He's grieved by what you did. But nevertheless, because of who he is, he extends mercy. His behavior towards you is not dependent on your behavior towards him. His behavior is one of mercy. The Lord, gracious, compassionate, full of mercy. Can you come to him tonight? Just bow your head and your heart to him. Jesus, come wash my feet. Wash away the dirt. Fill my heart again. Fill me with an assurance of forgiveness. I break my agreement with accusations. I refuse to let those accusations come in. I, I repent. I, I, I just reject the lies I have believed that you were holding this stuff against me, that I was a bad person. Lord, I believe I'm made in your image. I'm a valuable person. I believe that you have forgiven me tonight. I believe the blood of Jesus Christ makes me clean. Now, Lord, I worship you. Just as you kneel there, I want you to begin to meditate and picture in your mind Jesus is standing there right in front of you. Clothed in white garments. Reaching his hands towards you. And as you gaze upon him, you see compassion in his eyes. How much he loves you and values you. can feel his love flowing to you as you look at his arms and his hands 
their great puncture wounds where he was nailed to a cross. As you look down to his feet, just seen at the bottom of the robes, great puncture wounds where the nails of the cross pierced him. He says, I did this for you. I don't want you to live condemned and accused. I want you to live in intimacy and relationship. I have so many things to share with you. So many things to teach you. So many things to bring you into. I don't want you ever to let go of staying connected to me. I know you'll fall. You'll fall again. But look at these puncture wounds in my arms, in my hands and feet. They're a witness to you. I've made provision for your failure. Quickly just repent. Quickly come to me. Believe. Believe I've done this for you. I always want you to come to me boldly and confidently, knowing I'm glad to receive you and to talk with you. I'm willing to show you things and empower you. I love you. And I have a covenant of mercy with you. Because of your faith in me. Jesus. With your heart, just respond to him now. Just let the tears come. Tears of sadness about sin and issues. Tears of relief. Tears because your heart, you're valued. purpose in your heart tonight I'm going to keep going back into that place of intimacy and connection I'm going to keep revisiting that place of God's love and compassion and forgiveness until it's just a path in my life and in my mind and heart and I can just go there real quick anytime Jesus thank you Lord 